Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and you're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we're speaking with Lauren Swift from Swift Wines in the Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. Lauren was the winner of the inaugural Young Winemaker of the Year in New Zealand back in 2015. So right now, let's go have a chat with Lauren and see what she's up to. So hi, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Nice to have you on the on the podcast and uh, you're currently in the Hawke's Bay, yeah? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. I sure am. Mm-hmm. Out in Hamoana by the beach. Nice, yeah, very good, very good. That's a nice spot to be. It is, and it's beautiful and sunny. Yeah, lovely, lovely. That's... After a chilly start. Yeah, cool. And you're um, awaiting the, the birth of your first child any day now. Yes, yep. yeah. It's really you exciting. You can come Yeah, yeah, very cool. And so um, where, did, where did your life of wine start? What was sort of first things that you can remember about wine or how did you get into doing what you're doing now? So I grew up in Marlborough in the Tree Valley, to be precise, mm-hmm. and actually grew up on an apple orchard but was surrounded by vineyards. And we used to go and pick some bunches and we used to crush them and make grape juice. And then, you know, I remember being like, oh, it's getting some bubbles in it. And mum would be like, oh, you can't have that anymore. <laughs> And would be like, like go and tip it out from us. But yeah, that was great fun, putting it in the wine bottle and everything when we were real young. And then also probably the other one is we grew up just down the road from Vavasor Wines. And so like if dad would go to buy some wine from there, I'd always like to go down there too. And health and safety didn't used to be such a big thing. So I just used to cruise around on the catwalks as he's tasting the wine and I'm running about up on top of the tanks around. It was good. Having a good look. Having a good look. Oh, well. <laughs> so, you, yeah, yeah. so you were exposed to the world of wine very young then and uh, it was all happening around you, I suppose. Yeah, and I've, like, worked in vineyards since being in high school. Like, every holidays I would work in vineyards because it was a job that was close by. Yeah. And obviously could get paid, whereas just working on your parents' place, they didn't pay you. <laughs> no, that's right. You normally need to um, go and find somewhere else to, to get the dollars in. And, and so you, you'd spent your whole young life and, and school years in that area? Yes, yep. So I did my full high school education in Marlborough. And then at 18, I actually left and did a gap year in the UK and actually uh, did a lot of travelling around Europe. And that's when I was like, oh, this wine life's not so bad. You know, I don't mind this. So, yeah, when I came back to Marlborough, I ended up working for Chloe Henry in Marlborough in the vineyard. And then I volunteered myself to help in the winery at Vintage as well. Right. So, yeah, so that was like a real um, – what was so different with them was because the winemakers French, like lots of the people were French in the business, and their store, like their whole thing was about educating people about why you do this job and things started to make so much more sense. Right, okay. So, so how long did you spend overseas? So I spent just over a year. Okay, yep, yep. And then you came back. 
Yeah, yeah. And then worked in at culinary for about a year and a half and then went and did a vintage across the road at Delegates at Oyster Bay. So, so when you left school, you were pretty much quite sure on that you wanted to be involved in wine? No, no. I had no idea. No, no. You just... I just knew that I didn't want to go to uni and study something that I wasn't passionate about. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. So, you just so sort of- that's why I went away and had a gap year yep. um, to kind of, because I knew that I loved meeting lots of different people and my, I kind of already started down the journey of like loving food and cooking and things as well. Oh, and yeah, so wine was like a bit of a natural step to combine the travel, the food and the wine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so you spent... So, yeah, and then in 2009 was when... So I did that vintage at Oyster Bay in 2009, and then halfway through that year, I decided that I was going to move to Hawke's Bay to study winemaking. hmm Because if I ever wanted to go anywhere further in the industry, it seemed like you had to have a, a degree was the prerequisite, hence why I moved up to Hawke's Bay. Right. Okay. Yep. So you thought, like, right? I'll I'll uh, I'll stick around in this industry, but to get any further, I'm going to have to get some qualifications behind me. And so, where did you where did you study in in Hawke's Bay? Uh, so at EIT. At EIT. Yep. Okay. And how long is that course? So if you do just the winemaking degree, it's three years. If you do the concurrent, which is with the viticulture, it's four years. Right. But I kind of did. I haven't officially got my viticulture degree, but I've done uh, like it for the extra year. I've done the extra half year of it. So, if I wanted, I think I have three papers to get that degree. Okay. But for me, it was actually I did marketing papers as well because I thought that was probably more important in wine marketing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Nice. Do you think Do you think you'd ever go back and finish it, or sort of not given your experience now, not super? necessary yeah I just don't think it's necessary for me anymore like I I've done a lot of stuff with vineyards and I have quite a good understanding about that now and I think just after 10 years of actual industry work it's just not really worth it mm. Mm. So. Good. and so while you were doing your studies were you doing any work alongside that yes I worked at the crossroads cellar door mm-hmm. which is now Zephyr which is now what, sorry? Zephyr Cider. Oh, Zephyr. Okay, yes, yes, yep. And then I also worked for KTB, which was Tony Bish's wife, Karen, who has passed away now, but she ran, it was like a wine brokerage business, so it was kind of real estate for bulk wine. Okay, oh, I see. So, yeah, and I did some work for her, and that was awesome to get like a true understanding of all the things that go on in the background in the wine industry that no one talks about. Yeah, yeah. No, that would have been quite a uh, different sort of side to it, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I pruned this guy's vineyard um, like just on in winter for a bit of extra money now and again. I'd do some pruning for him because I'd done so much in Marlborough that I knew how to prune, so... Yeah right okay so you've 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 got early on in your in your career and in your 
choice of direction. You'd already had some good experience, just hands-on experience, hadn't you, around uh, vineyards and working in, in wine. And um, then you got some nice sort of breadth of uh, other aspects, as we've talked about, and then just sort of married that in with uh, with your sort of official learning through your through your courses. Yeah, and I think the wine industry, you kind of need a bit of all of that, you know, especially, I mean, it depends what size business you're going to work in, but especially in a smaller business, I mean, if you've got a few extra things that you can actually do, I think it's a lot more favourable as well. Yeah, got a bit bit, bit more breadth to, to what you're doing. Yeah. Cool, okay, and then um, did you enjoy the study side to it? It's interesting, like the first two years are very sciencey with hardly any wine-based things. So, you know, it was luckily I did all these extra outside of study things to actually learn a lot more about wine. And then like I just remember sitting in my class in my third year, it was the tasting class. I think it was the only paper that I got A plus in the whole time that I was there. And I just remember going, oh, yeah, this is exactly where I want to be and need to be. Like, this is so me, this industry sort of thing. But, yeah, it was hard work, the study. But since then, I've actually been on the committee of the advisory committee for EIT around the degree, and I've actually restructured it to uh, make it, a bit more practical and a bit more real life from the get-go. So students do have to still do all of the science, but there's a lot more wine-related aspects from early on. So I think people will enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think with most courses of study, it's always good to be evolving them, isn't it, and changing them to how things are and what people need and what the industry needs. Well, yeah, and that was it. That was their reasoning for getting, I think it was like 10 of us from the industry to give some insight as to what sort of things were actually necessary. Mm. You know, there was just, there's all like the chemical pathways and things and, you know, we did analytical chemistry with this method and that and it's like you would never use that in real life. Mm. But there's, I think there's a bit of that with every degree that you do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And then, so did work kept working through your studies, and then what happened at the end of your end of your course? Did you have something in mind that you wanted to do, or someone that you you lined up to work with? How did that? So, happen? yeah. So I didn't a hundred percent know. My dream was to have like a permanent position in New Zealand, um, but that would let me go away for vintage every year. That was kind of what I was aiming for, and I wasn't sure how I was going to get there sort of thing. And then it was our excursion down to Marlborough, and so it was like maybe two months before finishing our degree in 2012, and I met a man called Chris Wilcock who owned Ashridge Winery, and he, he's English and he was, I've tried, I had tried the wine before and things. And I thought the wines are really good. It's a pity he's such a dick is my, like, that's not how I remembered him <laughs> as a student. Yeah. And he's, yeah. And he was quite arrogant and he was like, 
oh, you know, like at the end before we all wrapped up, we were in Martinborough on the way back to Hawke's Bay. And he said, oh, if you don't know me, I own this vineyard and, you know, I'm looking for some people to help in the vineyard and the cellar door over summer. And I was like, oh, I'll take his card because I have nothing really lined up. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next sort of thing. And I thought it might be quite nice to do a bit of vineyard work and not have to really talk to anyone sort of thing, get some sun while I figure out my next move. Yeah, so I ended up starting to work there just in the vineyard and then it was like, oh, you need help in the cellar door. And, yeah, it was my first day there and Chris opened a bottle of wine for me blind and he was like, what is it and what do you think it is? What What do you think of it sort of thing? And, you know, fast forward nine years, I worked for him. We built a winery. We turned the vineyard fully converted into organic. Yeah, grew the business about oh, five or six-fold what it was when I turned up. Yeah, it was a big, yeah, essentially um, after working in the vineyard for two to three months, he came out and said to me, you know, what's your plan? Kept asking me what I was going to do. And I said, well, I think I'm just going to go back to Marlborough to work harvest because I have had no job offers, you know. And then he finally laid it out one Saturday morning when I was extremely hungover out in the vineyard. And he's like, I've decided I'm going to build a winery and I want you to run it. Right, nice. So here's me as a 23-year-old going, Jesus, like this is a bit crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Um, that's a big big challenge. Very exciting but a big challenge. Yeah, but I always just was like, well, you know, like, well, I didn't used to say to myself what could go wrong. I just was like, well, you just have to make it work. So, Mm. yeah, I used to tell myself a lot, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it, like you're fine, you're fine. Yeah. Whereas I was doubting myself for years. It was until, you know, uh, wines that I'd actually made myself started to come out in probably 2015 before I really started to get comfortable in my own skin and what I was doing. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. But you, um, that was a, that was a nice, good, long, um, good, long project and, and stretch. And, you, you know, you probably got exposed to a whole lot of things being involved in that business for nine years and, you know, helping to grow it. And, and I think you'd picked up some other sort of accolades along the way. Yeah. Yes, yep, I uh, entered Young Winemaker of the Year. It was the inaugural competition and won the Hawke's Bay and then went on to win the national competition for that. So that was pretty cool. Won a few trophies along the way for Ashridge. Yeah, did some really cool stuff. I was really proud of what uh, we achieved at Ashridge. It was, yeah, great. And unfortunately last year it was... It all came to, well, I didn't know what was happening essentially and then the owner, Chris, had decided to put the business on the market, which was quite hard because we had a bit of a succession plan, which was that I was going to take over the business and work on a work-to-own basis, but down the line, like after having kids and things like that. Yeah. So, So, yeah, it was 
quite hard and a bit of a shock when it did sell late last year and I was not part of the sale. No, okay, okay. So it was forced upon you to have a... Have a rethink and think about what was what was going to be next for you. Yeah, so I kind of like based on who was interested in the business at the time. There were two interested parties, and if one bought it, it was like there was no way I was going to have a job. And if the other ones bought it, I may have had a job. So I wasn't really yeah. I was like, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe I need to start investing a bit more heavily in my own brand um, because that might have to be my future. So there was all sorts of things happening in the background in my mind, not knowing what was going to happen at Ashridge. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I did do that. I, um, yeah, increase. I was just making Chardonnay and Syrah for uh, my own brand Swift at the time. And, then I had made all these real cool parcels of different things for Ashridge. And I was like, these are never going to get bottled. They're just going to get blended away. So I decided to buy them all for myself. They were tiny volumes, you know, around the 500 bottle mark. And yeah, so I finished them all and bottled them myself under my own brand. And August last year actually took them out to the market to show like a bit more of a range of what I was about, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, that um, would have taken quite a bit of courage, yeah, to actually just, um, you know, put yourself out there, you know, as yourself, um, by yourself as well. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. Like Ashridge didn't have a huge profile. I think the wines were really good, but it was all quite understated because, there was essentially no marketing budget uh, and the labels were very conservative. So, yeah, it was definitely a different target market to what my brand is going for. But, yeah, it's quite interesting, like, you know, six months down the track of being unemployed essentially from Ashridge and I did a tasting locally here in Hawke's Bay at a wine shop And the amount of members from Ashridge that came to support me that were really gutted on my behalf of what had happened and loved, like they love the style of wine that I make, that they are now supporting Swift, which is really special. And they followed you, obviously, because they knew that they they obviously liked your wine. Uh, They knew you were the winemaker and they were on a journey with you, which I think is it's really cool when, when you know, for me as a wine consumer, uh, you can follow a winemaker and, and see what they do and, you know, become part of that journey with them. And that that's what also happens, I think, when you go and visit a winery and you, you see where it is and it just gives that another layer of depth to what you're already enjoying and adds another layer of enjoyment to it, just, um, just that process. And you're obviously a... A, a very good, very good winemaker. And so you've got the, it's Swift Wines now, your label, yes? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, sorry, how long ago was that, that you'd first bought out those wines under your own label? Uh, so I started with a Syrah from the 2016 Vintage. Yep. And you released that, when was that? What year? Oh, that- I think it was 2018 or. Okay. Yep. Yeah. 
maybe 2019. I can't quite remember, but I'd made the wine and then essentially just hadn't sorted myself out with anything else. And then I was like, oh, I really need to get onto this and get going with this. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And uh, good. And so, yeah, a few few years, a few years into it now and you're continuing on with the brand. And so are you still sourcing your wine from sort of regular uh, growers or how's that how's that work work for you now yeah so I've kind of gone down this path of wanting to work with people who either organically growing grapes or are responsible growers so they're cautious about what they're putting on and things because it is quite tough to be fully organic in Hawke's Bay because of the humidity that we have but outside of that as well, there's also a lot of costs and, you know, they might not get the return of the investment of going organic. So I'm not wedded to organic fruit as such, but if I can, that's nice. It's more about the soil, the place, the people, that sort of stuff is what I'm trying to highlight in who I'm choosing to buy stuff from. Yeah, nice. So, yeah. 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 My, my, Roots are in the Bridgepar Triangle growing region. So that's where I'm trying to source most of my grapes from. The only ones from this vintage that didn't come from there is the the Gamay. And Gamay is kind of similar to Pinot. It needs to be growing more inland where they have bigger diurnal shifts to retain acidity and freshness and things. So... Yeah. Yep. Okay. And and you're working with a number of varietals, aren't you, and what you're producing? Yes. Yep. So I kind of have this, the way that I think about my range of wines, it's a bit out there and a bit crazy, but the Chardonnay and Syrah are like what I like to call like new generation classic styles that will eventually get celebrated for Hawke's Bay as the heroes. So I call them new generation classics. Those styles, they're a bit more classical in style, uh, just with a very twist on them with how I like them. And then I have all these range of wines that are just really super fun wines um, designed to be like just really easy drinking uh, and things. You don't have to think too hard, but they're very – delicious at the same time and those are the ones that like I have a Malbec currently but I haven't made another Malbec this year sort of thing so I've kind of interchanged and play around with those a little bit yeah Uh, and then I also have released the Marceline Bubbles which is a method traditional Blanc de Blanc with zero dosage so and that's got its own label because it's quite different and quite unique yeah on its own i've just grabbed myself one of those today so very excited to uh to try that out okay so yeah so you've got a few different varietals and so you did the malbec one year but not the next so you you just sort of look for what you're liking um in in any current year and keeping sort of fairly yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and so the Gamay for me is a bit of a showstopper. Uh, there's a lot of interest in Gamay. It's made in a style that you drink uh, chilled, 
And yeah, this yeah, it was just way too good, and it went. It sold very fast. I think I sold out in about six weeks of that one. Wow! And the Blanc de Noir. And the Blanc de Noir is made from Gamay as well. Okay. Um, and that's like amazing with uh, the pico goat's cheese, like sitting out in the sun. Yum. Again, very dangerous to drink far too much. Yeah. Good acid. Um, yeah, but so I've got both of those coming from 2022. And we also have been able to get ourselves a little bit of Shannon. So I've made a Shannon Blanc this year. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. So you've... Um because Harvest has just recently come in, right? So when, when do you make the decision as to what you're going to work with? Is it is it can you tell sort of pre-harvest or is it sort of just shortly after? How do how do you know what what's Yeah, there's a lot of so you kind of have to stitch in your contracts for fruit pretty early these days. Um there's a lot of demand for fruit out there. Right. So I had all my contracts sorted by October last year. So it's a lot of forward planning and, yeah, it's freaking me out now because we've just to increase production for maybe one day Swift will be able to pay me something. Um, we've increased production and put in a lot of capital to do so. Yeah. Whereas we can't just keep doing that every year. So yeah, so you it's going to be an interesting time. You have to make your call for what you're going to work with ahead of the, you know, way ahead of way ahead of harvest, right? For locking yeah. the supply in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a significant, like, to say, right, I'm going to take this amount, you know, six months in advance at least, if not more, and it's quite risky because you don't know what the season's going to be like at that stage. It's oh. you know oh. only just bud burst. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, interesting, whereas this season just gone was quite a challenging season. Early on, there was a lot of humidity and it was quite dry early season. Um, But, yeah, with this humidity that we hadn't seen before and I was kind of hedging my bets that it wasn't going to be a great season after three epic seasons in a row. And so I just... And also for cash flow purposes, I'd made the decision already to only make early drinking or like light reds that can be chilled. Yeah, was my aim. And that's for a business point of view as well as from hedging my bets for a season point of view. Yeah, okay. And what, what's your um, early thoughts on harvest for 2020? Just um, for listeners, we'd, this is mid-May 22. Sorry, did I say twenty twenty? What's your what's your early view of harvest for twenty two? Oh, honestly, it's going to be a real mixed bag out there, which always is the case when it's a challenging season. To be fair, I'm really happy with everything that I have pulled in for myself. But you know, my husband runs a vineyard contracting business, so I've heard all the horror stories under the sun as well about what's been going on out there. It's it's been a combination of a few things like with the cost of chemicals going up and after having so many good seasons, people were trying to save some money and did less sprays, you know, things like that that didn't work out in their favour. But it seems to be the way that, you know, 
wines that still come out from these vintages are still actually really good. And if anything, they're lighter in style, they suit consumers a lot more, like just everyday people, because they are everyday table wine that are fine. You just don't, you shouldn't age them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you're, you're obviously happy to try other varietals and, and see what's around. Is there anything outside of your production that you're seeing happening in New Zealand that you're quite liking at the moment or, or quite interested in? Anything coming out of a different region from what you've seen before or a varietal that you're seeing growing in, in popularity? Anything that's piqued your interest? Yeah, so for me what like I like to drink is I really like that there's lots of alternative whites coming and Marlborough's doing some really well, like Gruner and Albarino, things like that. Like I think, you know, for New Zealand, white wine is a much bigger seller and things that are alternative to Sav is a good thing. Yeah. And then I think also quite a few central people are doing like some really like lighter styles of things with Pinot for the drink chilled, uh, like the chilled red market, which I think is definitely a big category that is growing because people can drink that all year round happily. Right. Yeah, okay, okay. And I really enjoy that. So yeah. my new Cab Franc is made in a drink chilled style. Oh, yes, okay, nice. That's cool. And I was just chatting with someone this morning um, and they were saying, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but Aligote is sort of growing in popularity um, in Burgundy, I think. It used to be a bit more of a table wine and now they're sort of putting a bit more effort um, into the the quality and the production of it because uh, of where it's starting to go well, I suppose, and part of that's due to change in weather. Um, so some varietals are starting to struggle where they might have been traditionally and that's opened the door for for other other varietals to maybe be, you know, substituted in or complementary to what they're what they're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're gonna start seeing a bit more of that sort of thing happening everywhere, you know, like I always think it's it's interesting when the South Island is now producing some really beautiful Cabernet Franc. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Cabernet anywhere in the South Island generally, you know, even in Hawke's Bay, it's hard to get ripe every year. But I think we're going to see more of that sort of thing develop as time goes on for sure. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, and uh, we, we finish on a question if you could have uh, any glass of any wine anywhere at any time who and where and when and what would that be? Oh, geez. This question. Well, at the moment I just want to have a glass of anything guilt-free. That would be <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, maybe like we in 2019, pre-pandemic, we were in the Loire Valley and we had the most epic time there. And I remember standing at, oh, now I can't even remember, in Vouvray. What's the major guy who makes Vouvray? We get it here in New Zealand. Mark, Mark Breedoff? 
Yes. Yeah. We were in his cellar door right. and it was just, yeah, awesome. And they make actually epic Cab Franc that we don't get in New Zealand from there. Oh, oh, lovely. And, yeah, it was very, very cool. Yeah. Had such a cool time there. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the place and the time and who you're with, doesn't it, that makes the, um, makes the whole, whole occasion memorable when you have a good wine. Mm. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I would happily go back there again to like tomorrow if I could, if I could get on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably won't, don't want to do that tomorrow. Um, no, but yes, I'm happy. I've been stocking up the cellar, cellar the last couple of months yeah. in anticipation for actually getting to have a few drinks again. Very good. Very good. Well, hopefully that, that's not too far away. Hey, thanks, Lauren. Appreciate you taking the time to to have a chat with us and all the very best for uh, the next few days. Hopefully it's only a few days and not um, another week or so for you. And we uh, really look forward to what else you sort of tend to um, look to get into in the, in the coming years as well. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers, Lauren. Cheers. We've been speaking with Lauren Swift from Swift Wines in the Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to swiftwines.co.nz. That's S-W-I-F-T wines.co.nz. And also be sure to have a listen to some of the other New Zealand wine podcasts where we talk to others involved in the wine industry here in New Zealand. And have a look at podcast.nz where you'll find other podcasts about topics here in New Zealand. You can also follow NZ Wine Podcast on Instagram. This episode is brought to you by thezebu.com. Let's get your business started. And we look forward to your company again very shortly. Hey, kono mai. Bye for now.